Let's open our class with a word of prayer. And so let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you. You're our Heavenly Father. This special day, Father's Day. We know, Father, that we couldn't come before your throne except through Jesus Christ paying our price for our sins upon the cross. Father, we're reminded today of the specific needs that have been mentioned that we turn those all over to you, Lord, because we're all in your hands anyway. And Father, we just want to renew that closeness, that relationship with you, that we put our trust in you. And we thank you again for saving us. We thank you for sustaining us each day. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together in a free country to study your word together, to allow your Holy Spirit to not only teach us, but also to apply what we hear from your word. Father, I pray you be with each prayer group that those items, uh, those specific requests that are mentioned, Lord, that you'll work everyone out according to your will. We apply Romans 8.28, and we just trust you for that promise as well. Thank you today for waking us up, for giving us a day to serve you. We pray that all we do and say and think would honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. This being Father's Day, I think it's important that dads are reminded from God's Word how important it is that as dads that were godly Christ-honoring fathers. There's a lot of people that are dads, so to speak. They fathered a child, but to be a godly dad takes more than just that. And every Father's Day, it seems like several times in the past, I've been asked to fill in on Father's Day. And every time that I do, there's lyrics to a secular song, actually two songs, that remind us of the responsibility men carry as as fathers, as dads. And this one I know you all have heard, Cats in the Cradle. It's a hard one to read because it's very convicting. A child arrived just the other day, came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch, bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day, said, thanks for the ball. Now, come on, let's play. Will you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away and he smiled and said, you know, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. He came from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, I'm proud of you. Won't you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'm feeling like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And then this last one, this is a hard one to read. For long since retired, my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. 
You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been real nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me, my boy was just like me. Still gives me goose pimples to even read that. So true. And that's from a secular song. And here's one written 33 years later than that one. Watching You. It's a country song, but here's what it says. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat. Knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now, where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camel pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. We got home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. Said, Lord, please help my stupid self. Then the side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees, closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Those were written 33 years apart, but... the theme is still there. And the secular world looks at how important it is to be a dad. And it reminds us, I think, today that there are many, many homes that don't have dads in them, let alone a godly dad. So this morning we're going to look at an Old Testament passage. Join me in Job chapter 1. And we're going to find an example of a godly father. His name is Job. And as you're turning to Job chapter 1, I want to open it up for a minute. What do we know about Job? When we think of Job, what do we think of? Anyone have any idea? Trials? Like what? Suffering? Lost? Faith? A righteous man? Okay, so we think of a lot goes back to where we've heard over and over all the suffering Job went, that Satan did everything he could to him except take his life. He went through the severe trials. He had three friends that helped him, right? They were a real comfort. They were a great encouragement to him, weren't they? They had God figured out, and remember... God at one point was ready to judge them for that, and Job intervened for them. So we know all that in the book of Job. Job was given a lesson that God said, where were you when I created this and this? And 
What did Job kind of conclude at the end? Did anybody remember? That he was a great man, that he had all the answers, that he figured everything out? God was in control, even when everything broke loose. But five verses we're going to look at this morning, we don't look at often. And, and as I look at the book of Job, I think with Job we have an example of a godly father, a godly dad in the first five verses. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We will see three areas, three different realms, three different places that Job showed that he was a godly dad. And I think he's a good example for us here this morning. Look with me at Job 1, beginning at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the day of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Very powerful verses there, I believe, that show us the places that Job was a godly father. First place that Job stood out as a godly father was with the community around him. It says in the first part of verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright. That's quite a testimony to begin the book of Job. According to this verse and in chapter 2, verse 3, which says the following, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. So we have this testimony even later on. Job was blameless and he was upright. Blameless means to be clear, innocent, free from blame. It's used in Genesis 44.10 when Joseph was testing his brothers and a stolen cup was found in Benjamin's sack. It says there, Now let us also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and the rest of you shall be innocent or blameless. Job didn't cheat others when selling his sheep, oxen or camels or keep too much change from the food market vendor. There are a few dads in the Bible who are described as blameless. Noah, in Genesis 6-9, it says, These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And Abraham, in Genesis 17-1, is told to be blameless. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Are we blameless 
in our communities that we live in, in Clearwater, Largo, Palm Harbor, Oldsmar, wherever we live? Do we get the needed permits for projects on our homes? Do we make sure our lawns are kept up as a testimony to our neighbors? Do we take on the responsibility of voting when elections are held? Are we blameless at our jobs? Are known for taking long breaks and only working hard when the boss is around? We need to practice what 2 Samuel 22:33 tells us. God is my strong fortress and he sets the blameless in his way. God guiding our steps. Also, it says Job was upright. He dealt uprightly with people, everyone. He didn't cheat people. He was honest. And this being Father's Day, I remember growing up in my own life, my father and mother had a floor covering business. And I remember time and time again, my dad would actually lose money on a job. But somebody said, I don't like the color of the carpet. And they'd change and he'd take it up and and get them whatever color they wanted or they didn't like something the way it was done and he'd change it, still paying out the labor to those that worked under him, but to make sure the customer was pleased with the job. But he built it, his business, on being upright. And that's what Job here is being described as blameless and upright in the community. That's a tremendous, tremendous testimony. I brought a few things here to share that I shared years ago uh, when I was pastoring and some of these as a chaplain. But here's another example of one written by a father named Edgar. And he reminds us this morning, it's called a father's example. There are little eyes upon you. They're watching night and day. There are little ears that listen to every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do the things you do and a little boy who is dreaming of the day he will be like you. You are the little fellow's idol. You are the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds at all you say and do. He will say and do in your way when he has grown up just like you. There is a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you are always right. And his ears are always open as he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who is waiting to grow up to be like you. What a truth with that. But here Job is showing an example here that in his community he treated people rightly, uprightly, blameless. We may be the only Bible some people read as they watch and see us tackling some home improvement project at Lowe's or Home Depot or buying groceries at Publix or Sam's Club or eating fast food at Mickey D's or Burger King. How do they see us reacting or responding with our children and grandchildren? What does the world around us see? I just noticed uh, working at Publix, I kind of noticed sometimes uh, the children, little children, can get on parents' nerves. And I saw a dad or two jerking their son around, saying, you know, straighten up, like, you know, what's a three-year-old? You know, a three-year-old's a three-year-old. Straighten up immediately, and he's looking at dad like, 
wow, you know, I'm fearful and don't like to see that. And then I've seen very patient dads who take their time, they talk to their sons, they explain uh, that what a buy one, get one free BOGO thing is, and they explain, take their time with them. So I've seen both ends of it. But, you know, people around her watch, and I'm amazed. It doesn't seem like anything goes on anymore where, where somebody's filming it. Have you noticed that? It seems like here's somebody, this is going on, and somebody's got it on their camera, on their film, and suddenly, you know, there's there's no privacy with that. So while Job was out in the community, I think, with his family, whether anybody, they didn't have cell phones in. I'm not going to say they did. <laughs> but people were watching, just like they're watching today. So Job was blameless. He was upright. That's the first place in his community. He displayed godly character. The second place we see as we read on in verse 1, fearing God and turning away from evil. Job, with his relationship with God, in that place, he showed that he feared God and he turned away from evil. Fearing God means to fear from an apprehension of danger and a sense of our own weakness. We can't do it on our own. Showing reverence and respect toward God. It's the same word used in Genesis 22:12 when Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac. The angel said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It's also used in Proverbs 14.2. He who walks in uprightness fears the Lord. There's nothing we can do or say or think that gets by God. Nothing. And I'm always reminded of Psalm 139. Every time I'm thinking about you know, something going on in my life, God already knows about it before it happens. He knows my thoughts before I think them. He knows how my day is going to go tomorrow if I'm here tomorrow. And none of us know that. Sometimes we think we do. I'm reminded our oldest son who just retired now is with us and going to be settling in this area. Where he came from in Alabama, the weather guys were a lot more accurate than they are down here. Because when you plan four or five days down the line, as we who have lived here for a while in Florida, we know it can all change, right? And so when they say Wednesday's going to be nice, we hope it is. But maybe Monday they might say Wednesday now is 80% chance of rain when it was only 20. So that's Florida. That's the thing we kind of adjust to here. But it's... I don't know how I got off on that. <laughs> Just that God knows everything going on before it happens. And it doesn't take God by surprise. God knows all of it ahead of time. That's why we can put our trust in Him. Do our priorities reflect we fear God? If God called us through heaven's gates in the next hour, would we change anything we're doing or thinking now? And others see we fear God by our speech or how much time we spend with the Lord and His Word or how we treat others. If someone interviewed our families, what would they say? Can they see we fear God or not? 
Not only fearing God, but turning away from evil. Literally to turn oneself from evil. Going this way and turning from the evil. Turning another direction. And I always think of the example of Joseph who hightailed it out of a situation in Genesis 39 when Potiphar's wife tried to have sexual relations, grabbed him, and he took off. Getting away, turning away from evil. Evil speaks of sin, that which is against God. There's a warning in 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Are we alert to resist the devil? Do our children see we have a close relationship with Jesus? Here's what one reminder, one commentator had shared. This was written by Isabel Tucker. It's to any daddy. And again, a reminder, children or grandchildren are watching. There are little eyes upon you and they're watching day by day. There are little ears that surely take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do. There's a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. He will say and do in your way when he's all grown up like you. To catch your words day or night, you are setting an example every day in all you do. You say, well, I don't want them to see this or that. It doesn't work that way. Kids pick up on everything, right? When our kids grow up, when our grandchildren are growing up, they only see all the positive, all the things that we want them to see? No. Because they watch and they see and they copy Third place that Job showed his godly character was with his family, beginning at verse 2. It says he had seven sons and three daughters, ten kids, ten children. His possessions, he had all kinds of possessions, 7,000 sheep. And you say, well, you know, we we can't associate because we don't see 7,000 sheep uh, in a pasture. But he had uh, many, many material things. And he had many servants, but then we get to the end of verse 3. That man was the greatest of all the men of the East. That's quite a compliment. That's quite an evaluation here. He was one of the greatest, and I don't think it was just because he had a lot of possessions. He was blessed with children. But greatest among the East, that's a powerful statement. As it is said, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East in 1 Kings 4. Job had a close family, as is shared in verse 4. It says his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. They got together one day a week. Remember how many sons? Seven. How many days in the week? Seven. So they got together seven days a week to be together, indicating a closeness, a strong bond says, Job sent and consecrated his children every week as we move on. He had all these blessings. It says, the days of feasting had completed their cycle. Job would send and consecrate them. He was constantly intervening for them as a spiritual leader. He was like the priest represented in his family. He would pray. He would set aside time 
before God to remember all of his children and to pray for them. I believe it's important when problems come up, knowing families stick together through the thick and thin. Job, as head of his home, gave that example. On the other hand, one dad, and the reason I'm sharing this with you, he struggled in his own life is because this is a man, Richard Smith, who is incarcerated in my hometown of Hutchinson, Kansas. And he was thinking about the time he had missed with his son. It's called lost years. I may never know what it's like to tuck my son into bed, to look at him with eyes of blue, to hear him say, Dad, I want to be like you. I'll never get a chance to see my son grow. I've made many mistakes. I'm sure he'll know. During his childhood, I won't be there for him to call, to take him to the playground, teach him baseball. I would have taken him to the lake, taught him to comb the lake through in search of the biggest fish to find the right spot and know what to do. All the great times we would have had. Aiden, I'm sorry, I'm not there for you. I pray you will live for Jesus. Any problem you have, he will see you through. That was written... uh, Hutchinson Correctional Facility, which was about four miles from where I grew up in Hutchinson. But he is serving a life sentence. So he's not able to see his young son grow up. Job set a spiritual example for his family. As we are reading here in verse 5, he He would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt sacrifices according to the number of them all, which would be how many? Seven sons, three daughters. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then the last part of verse 5, what does it say? He did it continually. He didn't miss out. He didn't say, well, I can't do that now or I don't have time to do it. He was setting an example for his family through all of this. What kind of spiritual example are we dads or granddads to our children and grandchildren? Do we pray for them regularly that they will walk with God, that they will seek a stronger relationship with our Savior, and that they'll be counted, stand up and be counted for God's truth? That's not easy in the world we live in. It's getting harder and harder to have strong convictions because when we have strong convictions based on God's word, does the world say, great, we love you, we want to hear it? They don't. And so if our children and grandchildren don't get the encouragement from dads and moms to stand strong in the truth, it will be even more difficult for them when that time comes to say, this is what I believe, this is what I stand on. I was reminded uh, with that recent trip that Joe and several others in the church went to Nigeria to go into a hostile country like that, knowing that they hate Christians. And they could be killed and nobody would care in that community for the most part. When you go into those, you have to know, I'm going to trust God in this, that he is sovereign. And it made me realize anew of all the missionaries we support as a church. 
that go to these hostile countries and they share the gospel and they share with others the only news that's going to matter for eternity and that is salvation. That either they believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross and repent of their sins or they're on that broad road that leads to hell. And so it's reminded me again how important it is we pray for missionaries. And not only missionaries that are around the world, but missionaries in our neighborhoods. You know, we're all missionaries. We've all been commissioned the same way. Whether we go to another country or we go into our neighborhoods. Um, every year I'm reminded in Awana of the opportunities to reach into communities, reach this neighborhood with kids, reach them and share the gospel with these children. And when you have some of these young children, they don't even know how to word it, except these young children will say, I want Jesus in my heart too. They don't know how to say, well, you know, I, I want to think about this. I want to analyze this. They just with open hearts. That's the childlike faith that we all need to have as we approach the Lord. He's our Heavenly Father. He's the one who loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. Job followed here in these verses 2 to 5, what would be later recorded in Proverbs 1.8, Hear my son, your father's instruction. And here's something that God brought on my heart. For a son or daughter to hear their father's instructions, dads, the words have to be given. They can't read our minds. So that instruction has to be given. We must follow what Paul records for us in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. You ever watch a good coach who's coaching some sport? And their athletes are running, jumping, hurtling, swimming, hitting a spike in volleyball, or running up and down the field in soccer. What does a good coach do? Just sit over there like this? No, they're over there running with them. They're saying, you can do it. I haven't seen this kind of speed since the Olympics. They're encouraging every way they can that child to do their best. And that's what it's about. So I believe in a strong sense here, Job was that way as a godly father with his family. He encouraged them. He coached them along the way. And you say, well, my kids are all grown up. There's a lot of little boys and girls that could, would love some coaching along the way, some encouragement. We've said this before, but how many get too much encouragement? I never see a hand raised. How many give too much? You can't give too much. So I think it's very important we listen to our children. And here's what this was recorded out of a Christian magazine called The Shepherd. Listen to the children. Take a moment to listen today to what your children are trying to say. Listen today, whatever you do, or they won't be there to listen to you. Listen to their problems. Listen for their needs. Praise their smallest triumphs. Praise their smallest deeds. Tolerate their chatter. Amplify their laughter. Find out what's the matter. Find out what they're after. 
But tell them you love them every single night. And though you scold them, make sure you hold them and tell them everything's all right. Tomorrow's looking bright. Take a moment to listen to what your children are trying to say. Listen today, whatever you do, and they will come back to listen to you. So as dads, as fathers, hopefully godly fathers like Job, we need to be listening. This Father's Day, we should praise the Lord. We have a heavenly Father who has saved us, sustains us, empowers us to be the dads, grandfathers that bring glory to his name. I'm thankful we have so many godly dads at Lakeside, like Job, that show by their lives that God is first in their lives. But as dads, not only our children and grandchildren need to see our walk with the Lord, but there are boys and girls who don't have a dad who need male role models that honor God. They need examples of godly dads. Job lived a life of a strong testimony in his neighborhood. He feared God. He set a strong example for his family. So dads, where do we stand this morning? It's never too late to start. And families, we need prayer as dads to live godly lives. It's a daily challenge, sometimes minute to minute. If your dad is still around, give him a call. If not, thank a dad today for being a godly example for his family and recall the great memories of your dad. Again, let's praise God that we have a heavenly father who sent his son to die for our sins so we could be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this day to gather together as believers, to pray for one another, to thank you, Lord, for saving us. We didn't deserve it. It's all by your grace. And Father, this being Father's Day, We ask that you help every dad, every granddad, every man who has an example, has the opportunity to be an example to to those who don't have dads, to the children, to the grandchildren, who will someday make that decision to either accept you or reject what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Father, we thank you again for the example of Job. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything perfectly, but we see in these five verses in Job 1, he was a godly father who put you first in his life. And he trusted you day by day. May we as fathers do that. May we be to our families what you want us to be. And we all have room to improve, Lord. Just guide us, help us, sustain us to be examples that you want us to be. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.